0: Chapter 5, is recorded by the Gospel of Matthew, and we've looked at these, beginning at verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, and we understand mourning for sins, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this morning... Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This hungering and thirsting after righteousness is not just some physical carnal craving. but it's the consciousness of a soul of its own inadequacy, its own emptiness. And reaching out for something that God has promised to provide. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think it would be well for us to look first at the object of our hungering and thirsting. What is this righteousness that the Lord is pointing us all to? Well, it's a part of the kingdom. It's a part of kingdom life. It's a part of being a Christian. You go to the car dealer and you're in the market for a new car. You look them over and here are the standard equipment that comes with it. If it's a good salesman, and they usually are good in that they've got some options, they can sell you as well. And if you buy the option that go along with the standard equipment, well, you'll be more comfortable. Maybe the car will operate uh, better or, or whatever. They've got a good sales pitch. But when it comes to the Beatitudes, there are no options. It's all standard equipment. It's all a part of living the Christian life. And so whether it's being poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting after righteousness and so forth, it's all there for our taking. And it is a must. It's not an optional. Well, what is this righteousness? Well, there are two main elements of righteousness in the Bible. We're not talking about how God is righteous. Now, the expression is used, the righteousness of God. But the way we're thinking this morning is the righteousness of God that we're to seek hunger and thirst for. Two elements. One is right living. Maybe that's what most everybody thinks about when they think about righteousness. Right living, moral living. But another element, and just as important, and is uh, even more, well, I don't know if I can say more essential, but just as essential to go to heaven, and that is a right standing with God. Can't go to heaven without right living, but we cannot have a right standing with God without right living. So they're, they're both uh, a part of this righteousness that we must have and seek. Well, let's look at the right living part of it first. And we'll look at each of them separately. And We notice that the Bible contrasts righteousness with sin and with iniquity. In Hebrews 1 and verse 9, speaking to God, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Well, love and hate are contrast, are they not? Opposites. And so are righteousness and iniquity. Iniquity simply means lawlessness. Now, maybe in our minds we think about somebody who is iniquitous, guilty of iniquity, someone who's uh, into fornication or adultery or murder or drugs or something of that nature. And, of course, that's all iniquitous. But it includes a lot more than that. It simply means lawlessness. We're talking about God's law. And to be righteous, we're to abide and live according to his law. And if we don't, if we fail here and we fail there, we are lawless. That's iniquity. The Lord loves righteousness. He hates iniquity. Second Corinthians 614 be not unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship have righteousness and iniquity and what communion hath light with darkness just as light and darkness are opposite so are righteousness and iniquity they don't have anything in common whatsoever Romans 5, Romans 6, 17, and 18. But thanks be unto God, that whereas you were servants of sin, you become obedient from the heart under that form of doctrine or teaching. And being made free from sin, you become a servant of righteousness. Now, before they became a Christian, they were a servant. That is, they were a a slave to sin. Everybody's in that category. But when they became a Christian, then they became a servant of righteousness, of moral living. And I think of, of living like the God, God wants us to live. Also in um, Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is a disgrace, and that's the meaning of reproach, to any people. I hate to think about America and our society today. It is a reproach to God. It is a disgrace to God-fearing people. And there doesn't seem to be much concern about that. It's your opinion or my opinion. If you're not tolerant, then that's the worst sin of all. Let me give you some information about our media. There is little moral conviction among most of the news media. And so when we hear the news or we read the news, it's going to be slanted. They're not going to look at what's happening in the world the same way you and I as Christians look at it. Another example, 86% of the journalists Seldom or never attend any religious service. 86%. Where they could at least, maybe now and then, hear something about morality and what's sin and what's not sin. Only 15% see extramarital affairs as immoral. Only 15%. That means 85% think it's all right. one other seventy-five percent of the media do not think that homosexuality is wrong. And so what does Proverbs fourteen thirty four say? Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, any nationality well there are other scriptures we're talking about the opposite of right. we're talking about what righteousness is and comparing it with the opposite in Titus 2 and 12 for the grace of God hath appeared bringing salvation unto all men instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world now the grace of God Is revealed to us. It instructs us. It tells us how we're to live and how we're not to live. And the Lord says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you'll live soberly and righteously and godly. One of the passages of scriptures, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, where a little bit more specific as to what righteousness or unrighteousness is. Or know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves as men, and those last two mean homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they are unrighteous. Jesus said, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when those things surround us, it is it's harder, is it not? But still, one who would be in the Lord's kingdom needs to do that. Well, there are other scriptures that you might think about. We're talking about a righteousness which means dying to sin. It is a distinct, definite renunciation of the world and of the way the world lives. A deliberate choice for God, it is equivalent to Holiness. And the holiness that we're talking about now is a personal, spiritual holiness of life and heart. In Hebrews 12, 14, we're told to follow after peace with all men and the sanctification or holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. People, well, I'm not interested in hungering and thirsting after righteousness... But well, if you're interested in ever seeing the Lord, you better get interested. Without which no man shall see the Lord. And so we're talking about holiness, morality, honesty, integrity, God's system of ethics. I think one of the most beautiful songs, and we, we've sing it now and then, is it's in a book. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. May his spirit divine. All my being refined. Let the spirit or let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. This includes The control of our tongue This holiness The control of our temper The control of our passions Our inclinations And it also Includes the conduct As parents As children As masters As servants As husbands As wives As rulers As subjects He's talking about our dress, morality, our employment of time, our behavior in business, our demeanor and sickness and health, in riches and in poverty, and you can just go on down the line. So let me ask ourselves, am I, are we, are you a holy husband? Are you a holy father? Are you a holy wife? A holy mother? Are you a holy neighbor? Do those closest to you and me see the beauty of Jesus in us? When your burden is heavy and hard to bear when your neighbors refuse all your load to share. When you're feeling so blue, don't know just what to do. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in you. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness is a 24 hour job occupation. Let's look at the other element of righteousness, and that is having a right standing with God. Because of our sins, we're alienated from it. We're separated. Jesus Christ came and died that, to bear our sins that we might be reconciled back into his grace, back into his righteousness, and that's the righteousness of God. For example, in 2 Corinthians 521 him who knew no sin and that's Jesus God made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God through him Charles Williams in his New Testament renders that this way the latter part of that verse so that through union with him that is union with Jesus we might come into a right Standing with God that's what righteousness of God in this verse means having a right standing with God in Romans 10 1, 2, and 3 we find this Paul said brethren my heart's desire and supplication unto God is for them that they may be saved now the ones for whom he's making supplication are lost because he's pleading with God that they may be saved. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. A zeal for God, and yet lost? That's what Paul said. Knowledge must have a part to play in it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John eight thirty two. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, that is, their own righteousness, they did not subject themselves unto the righteousness of God. He's talking about his own fleshly brothers and sisters, Jews in the flesh, the descendants of Abraham. He said they're lost. They're zealous for God, but they don't know how God wants them to be saved. So they're not subjecting themselves to that. They're working up their own way of saving themselves. You know folks like that? I suppose a vast majority of the people today fit into that category. They are ignorant of God's righteousness. And they're seeking to establish their own. If I'm just good enough... And if I'm as good as any of us folks here, and we think we're saved, well then why don't we think they're saved? They're talking about the first element of righteousness. Right living. And nobody's going to get to heaven by just right living. That's the message we need to tell the folks. Otherwise, why did Jesus have to die? We need the whole picture of righteousness. Right living, but a right standing with God And that comes about by God's forgiveness when we obey the gospel. Look at Cornelius. He is described as a right liver. In Acts 10, verse 2, he says he's devout. He feared God with all of his house. That's his family. He gave much alms to the people. And he prayed always. Now, if we heard someone described like that at a funeral, we'd think that person's already in heaven. But if Cornelius had died then, he wouldn't have gone to heaven. The angel said, Cornelius, you need to send some messengers over to Joppa. There's a man by the name of Simon, his surname is Peter. Get him to come over here and preach to you. And he shall speak unto thee words whereby thou shalt be saved, thou and all thy house. Cornelius was a good liver, but he was still not in a right relationship with God. So he was lost. It takes both of us. We need to hunger and thirst after good living and a right relationship with God. So we're talking about here a complete forgiveness of sins. When a man's sins are all blotted out, when he has been forgiven of every sin, and that spiritual state is reached, attained in Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about righteousness. Let's talk about what Jesus said was necessary to attain, to achieve, to have that righteousness. He says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting is an expression of strong desire. And attention is not drawn to the uh, possession of the righteousness, but to the the. the The longing and the desire of it. And I don't suppose that there are any stronger expressions that could be used than hungering and thirsting. So keen is hungering and thirsting when we reach that state. In fact, the word that the Lord uses here is to suffer hunger. And suffer thirst. Now, I don't know if I've ever missed a meal. I've not gone too long without drinking. if I got thirsty. Oh, I've been thirsty. I mean, I've been places where I wished I had a drink. But I've never really hungered and thirsted. I, I can't really appreciate the very terms that the Lord is using so that I can appreciate hungering and thirsting after righteousness. In the days when Jesus was upon the earth, the working man didn't receive much money, just enough to survive. He was never very far from the borderline of starvation. And when he heard Jesus talking about hungering and thirsting, they understood. They couldn't just go in the kitchen and turn on a tap and have nice, clean, cold, fresh water running into the kitchen. And a man who had to go on a trip, couldn't get in a car, Close the windows, turn on the air conditioner. He would generally walk. And on a journey he might face a hot wind sand storm. Nothing for him to do but to turn his back on that wind and that sand. To pull his burnous over his head. To try to cover up his nostrils and his throat. From the sand that was swirling, trying to fill up his nostrils. To where he was almost suffocated for breath. His mouth was parched for something to drink. Now Jesus is talking about that kind of hunger. That kind of thirst. It's the hunger of the man who's starving for food and who will die unless he gets something to drink. That's the degree that Jesus is talking about here. Now does this give us a, a, a more of an idea about hungry? And thirsting after righteousness. Jesus used this same potent urge of hunger. To illustrate the power of a strong desire to do right. And to be right with God. <coughs> well when we think about this. Maybe one of us would say if we could just be like the sinless Jesus. Well. Well if we would hunger less after the world and less after materialism and more after righteousness, we'd be more like Jesus, would we not? Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. John 6, 51. And in that same chapter, Jesus speaks about our eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Not literally. He's not talking about the Lord's Supper either. He's talking about our absorbing him just taking him in our lives and letting him live within us like Paul said in Galatians 2.20 and we think about the word of God as being spiritual nourishment for the soul and we need that to grow to be edified to be strengthened to know what to do and to have the ability to do it, I mean, with God's help. If we're in a strange uh, town and we get hungry, hunger overtakes us, we go out of our way to get some food. Maybe we stop at the grocery store, fast drive through, fast food drive through, or rest, whatever. The man who is spiritually hungry goes out of his way to find righteousness. And to find a place where it's being encouraged. Bartimaeus was blind. We studied about him recently. Couldn't see. Couldn't heal himself. Nor could his neighbors heal him. But he went and put himself in the way of getting sight. And Bartimaeus was healed. In a similar manner, the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness never misses an opportunity A being where righteousness is to be found. Sometimes, now maybe I'm getting closer to home now, folks. Sometimes Christians become so absorbed with cares of this world, both legitimate and illegitimate, that they lose their appetite for that which is spiritual, for hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They no longer study their Bibles daily. They neglect prayer. They find no joy in preaching the Word or in the fellowship with the saints. If we are spiritually weak, we are responsible. God has placed before us a banquet. And if we don't eat, is God to blame? Now, Jesus is talking to you and to me when he says, Hunger and thirst after righteousness. So here's a warning. If we do not thirst here for that and in the right way, we shall thirst when it is too late. Remember David said in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And if we don't thirst as David did, we shall thirst as the rich man that Jesus tells us about in Luke 16. For just a drop of water on our tongue, Is it not better to thirst for righteousness while it is available, while it can be had, than to thirst for mercy when there is none to be had? Well, what is the blessing? Jesus said they shall be filled. Filled with what? Well, that for which they hunger and thirst. Righteousness. Never is there a desire to be holy that God does not gratify that desire. And we might, all of us, tell ourselves, I want to hunger and thirst after this righteousness. Well, if that's our goal, God will see that that desire is gratified. If you desire to be righteous, there is no power on earth that can keep you from becoming righteous. And on the other hand, if you are not righteous it is because your desire to become righteous is not strong enough or is not constant every man will eventually be what his soul craves most to be that's a maxim we all accept that principle the joy of a righteous life and the joy of the forgiveness of sins, having a right relationship with God, as blessed as they are, shall be surpassed by that of the universal righteousness in heaven. And it was to this that Peter referred in Second Peter three thirteen. He said, but according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what the Lord's promised us. We have his promise for this life and the life to come. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall all die in your sins. And when we die in our sins, we've not attained that right relationship with God. We must believe in him. And believing in him, that faith is going to drive us to do his will. We believe he's the master. Well, master, what do you want me to do? Repent. Except you repent, Jesus said, you shall all in like manner perish. We're to confess our faith, Romans 10, 9 and 10. We're to be buried with Christ in baptism so that we can have this right standing with God. Do you hunger and thirst after that? Well, then you need to obey the gospel. You need to commit your life to him. And when you do that as together we stand and sing?